Blog Talk Radio. Coming to you since 1997 on KKUP Radio with over 250 guests and still going strong in their 12th year of weekly broadcasting, the International Taz and Paula Show brings to you expansive, engaging, and groundbreaking intensity on radio and now on the Internet airwaves today. Listen live every Thursday or visit Embracing Mother Earth's archives, exclusive articles, Ask questions and receive actual answers from guests anytime at TazAndPaulaShow.com. Taz and Paula's special guests are experts coming from all walks of life, energizing our lives with a passion that inspires and teaches us with each of their compelling personal life journeys, with roots from ancient wisdom and bridging it with modern science. We hope today's show touches the wisdom of your heart. And now... Taz and Paula. Well, we have a great guest this morning. Our forerunner guest is Freebo. He is an award-winning singer, songwriter. In 2008, he received a Posey Award for Best Song in the Most Uniting Category. The 2007 Los Angeles Music Awards Best Folk Artist, a winner for 2007 South of Florida Songwriting Contest, a finalist in 2009, the Great American Songwriting Contest, and a finalist in five different categories of JPF awards. But he's probably best known as a folk rock blues icon. You are now listening to the Taz and Paula Show, and I'm Paula. Well, and I'm Taz. That, you know what? What an exciting life this man has lived, <laughs> Freebo. Yes, most certainly. Oh, wow. For 30 years, Freebro played bass on recordings and toured with some of the great artists of our time. People like Bonnie Rayet, 10 years, John Mayall and the Blues Breakers, CSN, Maria Moldar, Ringo Starr, Michelle Schacht, Neil Young, Loudon Wainwright III, Dr. John, and many others. He has also appeared on Saturday Night Live, Midnight Special, Muppets Tonight, and in concert with the legendary Spinal Tap. It was his yearning for a more creative expression, however, that drove Freebo to begin a process of deep inner discovery, and this has led to his successful transition as a singer-songwriter. In Freebo's new CD, Something to Believe, um, CoolAlbumOfTheDay.com says... In a cluttered world that seems to thrive on excess, self-promotion, and personal and political agendas, listening to Freebo and his new album is like riding on a cumulus cloud of peaceful awareness. Excuse me, that's cumulus cloud of peaceful awareness. Polly, tell us more. Yes, Freebo's songs embrace his own cosmic blend of folk, country, rock, and soul, and blues, ear an ear-pleasing genre-defying music. And in his live shows performed on acoustic guitar, Freebo creates a unique, intimate, and inclusive atmosphere with his audience. Well, Freebo, we are so excited to have you with us. Welcome. Thank you. Great to be with you guys. How are you doing? Great. Great. <laughs> can, can we start from the beginning of uh, how you broke into the music business? 
Well, it was uh, actually it was all quite by accident. Uh, one of my favorite expressions is John Lennon's says, "Life's what happens when you're busy making other plans." And um, <laughs> my <laughs> my plans, like so many people, were were my parents' plans. And uh, you know that was to you know, grow up and go to college and be a doctor or a lawyer or a businessman. So I chose doctor. And uh, when they went to college and pre med, they stuck me with chemistry and calculus, physics. And biology all in the first semester. <laughs> I think I, I imploded or exploded, and somehow said, "Hmm, I don't think this is right for me." In short, uh, you know, kind of, kind of uh, bounced around, uh, not really knowing what I was going to do. But all this time, I, I I had a very strong musicality. I was given piano lessons as a kid. The piano lesson, piano really helped me uh, get my musicality together. There was always classical music around the house. Um, certainly, you know, throughout your life, your teenage years. Uh, I, I mean, I'm old enough. I remember when rock and roll first came along, and Little Richard and Chuck Berry and all that stuff. And uh, uh, I, I took tuba in the high school band when I wasn't playing football and basketball. I sang bass in the choir. Uh, but this was always just for fun. I was never serious about being a musician. And... Uh, uh, between junior and senior high school, I went to a camp as a counselor. Uh, sorry, as as a waiter, met a counselor who was a folky, Philadelphia folky. She showed me a couple chords on guitar. Uh, I came home, told my band director. He said, "Hey, we've got an old Martin. It's just sitting here. You can have it for your senior year." Now I had a guitar. Sat with my buddy George Cunningham. Learned more chords. One day uh, at one of the schools I was at, I my roommate was a fellow named Jerry Donahue. Uh, I borrowed some of his guitar. We sat down and jammed. I went to the bass registers because I always thought bass was always my favorite part of the music. He said, hey, let's put a put a rock and roll band together. I said, well, okay, I guess I could do that. He said, you be the bass player. So I went out and got me a cheap bass back in the 60s, mid-60s in Germany, like $12.50. We all play out of the same amplifier, and now I'm playing bass in a rock and roll band. Came back to the States, went to the University of Pennsylvania, joined the glee club, I uh, met a baritone named Mark Jordan, sat down with him, the same thing. He said, hey, we just started a band and we need a bass player. And, you know, it sounds like you'd be good at that. I said, yeah, I can do that. Well, that band became a uh, uh, Philadelphia, uh, uh, we, we got a record deal with uh, with Atlantic. And uh, we, we opened up for groups like Procol Harum and Big Brother and the Holding Company and Janice and Grateful Dead. And uh, at one show, um, the fellow who wanted to manage us brought his girlfriend down uh, to to let him know what, what she thought of the band. And uh, she said she loved the band and loved the way I played bass. It turns out it was an 18-year-old Bonnie Raitt, who was a freshman at Radcliffe and was not yet playing professionally. And so we became friends. I went to her first gig, watched her kind of struggle through it. A year later, watched her uh, much more seasoned with her brother playing bass. And the year after that, Got a call from her and said, hey, uh, uh, I hear your band's breaking up. I said, yep. She said, well, I'd love you to come play bass with me. I just got a record deal on, on uh, Warner Brothers. I can make it anywhere I want. I'm going to make it in Minneapolis. Why don't you come up to Boston and learn a couple tunes? And so I did, and so I kind of sort of slid from the breakup of Edison Electric into playing with Bonnie Raitt. That was 1971. That lasted for over 10 years. I met all sorts of people like Maria and all these people that I wound up playing with. And so it really kind of all happened by accident. And uh, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. 
<laughs> well, it sounds like you were at the right places at the right times. Well, so, that's kind of the way life works, don't you think? Yep. I think the universe had a, a a plan for you, and you followed it. So that's congratulations on that one. Yeah. Well, Freebot, let me ask you a question. Um, when you look at your day, what does the most important hour of each day look like for you? Wow. <laughs> That's a that's a tough question. Uh, gosh, I, I really don't know. I mean, I I I really I really take things, you know, uh, literally, you know, one moment at a time, one day at a time, and I, I try and be in the moment. Um, living up in California Hot Springs, where we've been for the last uh, well, it's coming up on a year now. This teeny little place, about an hour north and east of Bakersfield, but it has a, a wonderful. A hot springs pool. This great uh, healing water uh, comes out of the ground uh, hot, and it's just wonderful pool, about three quarters Olympic size. So, uh, four days a week, uh, I do water aerobics first thing in the morning at nine o'clock, mm-hmm. and uh, that's, that's been very good. good. It is. It's been very healing. It's been very, very helpful. You know, I come back. I'm sure I, I looked at the computer, but because, um, and, and you know, I'm a one-man operation, you know. I, I write the songs, I play the songs, I record the songs I'm in the studio and uh, book myself and, uh, you know, uh, try, turn, turn the music into a living. Uh, if, if it was kind of society where they'd pay me to do it, uh, I'd be happy, but, you know, you have to create these things yourself. So uh, yeah. I, I spend time doing that, sometimes too much time. But I, I I really try every day to uh, to get behind the guitar or the piano because that, that really is my bliss. And um, when I don't do that, uh, it feels like there's a hole inside me that, that's not filled. And uh, just doing that gives, gives me great pleasure. The older I get, the more I enjoy it. I've never enjoyed playing guitar more. I've never enjoyed singing more. Uh, and, and so it, music really does... It, it, it calms me. It it, uh, it fulfills me, and at the same time, while I'm doing it, I'm actually doing myself good because I'm 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 helping my career, and I'm helping my person. Because you know, how long are we on this planet for? And I I know for me, I, I want to maximize whatever time I'm I'm given. I want to maximize my talent. Uh, I want to make the best of, of what I've been given of the talent and the situation. Uh, I think I'm, I'm extremely grateful for uh, the way life has given me this opportunity to talent and at this particular time when you actually can, you know, make a living doing what you love to do. I'm so fortunate to do that, and I don't take it for granted. Now, well, when did I you love- decide to do a one-man uh, operation? Because you were in groups before. What was the breaking point? Well, that's a great question. Uh the breaking point was probably uh, frustration, uh, and it was really going from bass player to singer-songwriter. I, I, I never, just, just as I kind of wandered into playing bass, because bass was very natural for me. Like I said, I was always fascinated by that part of the music. So to just learn the instrument, which is not that difficult, it's just the four bottom strings of the guitar, and it's really only one note at a time, uh, the, I think that... Uh, and the essence of playing bass is playing the right note at the right time. It's, you can play any one of several notes to a chord. Uh, you know, if it's a C chord, the natural thing to play is a C, but you can also play an E 
which is part of the chord that makes it sound different. You can play a G. And so the bass, in a way, has a lot of uh, a lot of influence on the music. And just by changing one note on the bass, you change the whole feel of what's going on, uh, as well as rhythmically, working with the drummer, working with the other instruments. And I enjoyed that uh, for a long time, but it turns out I had all of these other uh, ideas in my head. I had... Uh, I had ideas on what the guitar player should play and the drummer and, and melodic ideas, rhythmical ideas, production ideas. And as a bass player, I was only able to get a certain amount into the music. Uh, so I think, in short, it was my creative child that was speaking out and then eventually crying out, saying, let me out of here, you know, give me a, a vessel that I can take these ideas and, uh, and let them come to fruition. And one day I realized that in all the groups I played, that, that it was the, the singer, the songwriter, who really had the control. And I mean control in the best sense, control in terms of being able to, to actuate your vision. And, uh, and I had these visions, but I had no way to put them out. And so one day I decided, in my 40s, I'm going to start to, to write songs. I've never written a song before that. All the time I played with Bonnie, I never wrote songs. And so I actually made a conscious decision to start writing songs. And as I did that, I began to give myself uh, the vessel. Because life's all about choices, right? And, and yeah. I, I, I found myself pointing the finger at everything and everybody and blaming them. It was their fault, my frustration. And one day I, you know, either literally or metaphorically saw the three fingers pointing back at me and said, wait a second, this is on me. And I've got to make the choice to give myself the opportunity to do this. Once I did that, and that opened up a whole other can of worms, I realized that I had to sing the songs. I realized that I was really fearful of singing. As much as I sang harmonies and in groups, I never felt that I had the kind of voice that was what you call a good voice. I don't know where that came from, probably somewhere as a kid because I didn't have a natural vibrato. But that stuck with me. And uh, so I did a lot of work on overcoming that fear and took some vocal lessons and decided that I wanted to get to the point where I could sing my songs or I could enjoy my song. And if I could enjoy singing my song, get to that point, not compare myself to Jackson Brown or James Taylor or James Brown or anybody else, but get to the point where I could sing my song, enjoy singing my song, that there was a good chance that somebody else might enjoy my singing the song. And I think it's gotten to that point where I truly enjoy singing. I think of myself as a singer now, uh, as well as a songwriter, as well as a guitar player, as well as a bass player, uh, as well as a producer. And uh, and and my life, I, I feel so much more comfortable in my own skin now. So I, I, like I said before, I think life's about, about choices and we're all responsible for the choices we make. And uh, sometimes it, it's it's failure or frustration that leads us to these points of destiny where we say, you know, I need to make some other choices because, you know, the definition of insanity, you keep doing the same things, you'll keep getting the same results. So I had to make some changes, and, and I did, and I'm so glad that somehow I, I saw that light. Rebo, can you look back and see what it was the first time when this mer mer the music surged through you and it's like going... I think I want to do this. Can you remember this feeling and the excitement? And then and then, what was your response afterward? I could just see you jumping up and down maybe going, yeah. 
Well, if you want to know the truth, in other words, the time that, that I actually decided that, that music was my destiny, oh, is that the question? Me... One day I decided that, you know how you you know how you, you say things sometimes and it comes out in what seems to be a clever way? It has a rhyme to it or it has a rhythm to it, and you just go, wow, that was, that was pretty cool. Yes. I really should write that down. You ever have that happen to you? Yeah. Yes. Well, that happened to me enough times that I said, you know what, the next time I get one of these cleverisms, I'm going to write it down because I got I got sick and tired of of losing them. Because what happens is these things come as, as inspiration. I don't know where they come from. I don't know if they come from inside or outside or from God or from the universe, from the force. I have no idea, and it doesn't matter. But I do know that they come. And if you don't write them down, uh, they go away, and you like never get it exactly, and you never get the same thing back again. No matter so, what time of hour. <laughs> no matter what time of hour or where you are. So uh, yeah. I, I decided these things are precious, and whatever they are that come to me, I need to start writing them down when they come. And so I went out. This was in the '80s. I got myself an organizer. Remember organizers? Oh yes. But I went and got myself an organizer because I'm not very organized, and I and I used it. And I said, next time I get it. So I was actually driving from uh, L.A. to San Francisco, driving up uh, Highway Five, Interstate Five, and uh, I had to speak with a friend. And we, you know, it had a a, a bit of a misunderstanding. And I was thinking, what am I going to say to him? And I said, well, what I got to say to you, please take it to heart because it comes from the heart. And I would take it to heart because it comes from heart. That's kind of cool. You really should write that down. So driving along at 65 miles an hour, I reached in, got my organizer, and wrote down on one line, take it, and the next line, to heart. Next line, because it comes from the heart. I take it to heart because it comes from the heart. It had a rhythm to it. had a kind of a rhyme to it. So I went over, take it to heart because it comes from the heart. Yes, it comes from the heart deep inside. Right? Natural rhythm, just like 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 little little kids' nursery rhymes, and then I went for a while. I thought that's cool, and then now I had it down, so now I don't forget it. And as I was driving, so I kind of went take it to heart because it comes from the heart. Yes, it comes from the heart deep inside. If you're wanting a friend, I'll be yours till the end. So don't take it so hard because it comes from the heart. And. Okay, that that's saying just what I want to say. I had no music to it, uh, but it was down, and it was a verse, and it was a verse to a song, and it felt really good. And that led me to the next verse. We take it in stride. We've got nothing to hide. We, if we cannot abide, then we're through. And uh, and the reason this this was so thrilling to me was because I had never been able to write songs before, even when I tried. I'd sit down with a guitar, I'd come up with a riff of some sort, I'd come up with a melody of some sort, but I could never put lyrics to it because I was never focused on lyrics. I was always focused on music. But once I started focusing on the lyrics, when I made that conscious decision to write down my cleverism, one phrase led to the next phrase, and now I had a series of phrases that became a verse now I could put music to it, I found, quite easily because the musicality in me allowed me to do that. And so that really unlocked it. I then went back when I got to my hotel 
I got out a, a guitar or a keyboard, I forget which, and I just started thinking what kind of melody I could put to that. And, again, that came fairly easily. And before you knew it, I, I had a whole song, and I went, wow, I can do this. And that was and really a really wonderful moment. And it's it's sending a message out that people need to hear, too. That's the wonderful part of it. Well, I guess it kind of leads to one of the songs on my CD, If Not Now, When. Because that's really what that that's about. Is it, it's, you know, I mean, so often we get caught up in, you know, in, in self blame or blaming other people and and, and guilt and, and regret and oh gosh, I wish I'd start writing songs when I was I was a teenager like like Jackson Brown did. Well, gosh, now I'm in my forties. It's it's too late. It's and the fact is, you know, it, I, especially as far as creativity goes, it's never too late because uh there's really no limit to that. It might be too late to be a, to be a sprinter, you know, something physical, but when it comes to our creativity and 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 you know, our expression of spirit, uh, it's never too late to do that. And uh, so that's kind of what that song is about, you know. The chorus is uh if not now when, if not me who, I can't pretend because I know it's true. I make this vow, I swear, amen. My time is now. If not now, when? You know, I have I have a friend that writes uh, music, and she said the best time for her to write music is when she's kind of down and out, and this is when everything comes out. And uh, this, is, is that true for you, or? No, actually, I, I mean, I, I think that's that's the whole idea of. I mean, I, the thing about songwriting to me is is really it, it's about connecting and it's about connecting with an emotion particularly with the lyrics it's, it's true with the, with the music as well uh but so it's yes it's good to uh to to, to find that emotion uh, whether it be you know sadness or grief you know or joy and and use it and uh and allow that to uh you know to pour your feelings out uh so i i can understand that uh, and that happens occasionally, but for me, it, it's more like uh, either getting a musical idea by by sitting down at the guitar or the piano, uh, and then expanding upon that, or it's about in some of the songs on my CD, uh, I, I, I came up with a concept. Like for instance, the opening song, "Standing Ovation." Uh, I was at a friend's funeral. And uh, I heard them saying all these nice things about my friend. And, and I started thinking, I started thinking, I wonder what they'll say about me at my funeral. And the more I thought about it, I thought, well, I hope it's something good. And then I thought, well, gosh, if, if I was a fly in the wall at my own funeral, what would I like to see? And all of a sudden I got this vision of <laughs> of, uh, of people standing up giving me a standing ovation. I thought, wow. That would be great confirmation for a life well lived. <laughs> and I said, "Well, gosh, wouldn't everybody like that? Wouldn't that be a nice thing for people to get at their at their at their funeral, standing ovation? If, of course, if they deserved it." So now the song, I said, I, "I'd like to write that song. I need to write this song, standing ovation." But it's really not about dying. It's not about the funeral. It's really about about living. It's about living that life uh, that is worthy. Uh, of a standing ovation at one's funeral, so that's how the concept started for me. 
We've got that. I've got that song. Do you want me to play a little bit of it? Sure, that'd be great. Thank you. Uh-huh. If life is a comedy part that we play is never as clear as it could be or maybe drama who is to say but it always turns out as it should be and if I am a player who's played his part well and did it with humor and grace when I die give me a standing over a celebration for a job well done. No need to cry. It's not my final destination. I'll be at the station when the train comes by. What a great song. Wow, that's super. Thank you, thank you very much. Yeah, beautiful. And and the the rest of that, and how the song uh, came about in this case was, so that was the uh, the lyrical concept. Uh, you know, that's what I want to write about. And uh, you know, I thought it's going to be standing ovation. That'll be the title of the song. And so, just my simple logic came in. So, when I die, give me a standing ovation. I wanted to do it in first person. So. Uh, and and then uh, musically I go uh, when I die, da da da, and that became the musical motif for for the French horn, uh, for all of the answers da da da, and and I was fooling with the guitar uh, uh, several years ago. Somebody turned me on to a thing called a partial capo. A capo is a a thing that that covers all of the strings on the guitar and basically modulates up the key so you can. You can raise the key of what you're doing. You can lower it, so you can play the same guitar shape. Uh, it, it, it's cheating in a way, but it's a it's a real good device. But uh, most capos just cover the entire six strings of the guitar. Well, this person turned me on to a new thing by Kaiser called the partial capo, which only covers three strings. And in, in essence, what it does is it changes the tuning, so it puts you into a, 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 a just a different tuning. On the second fret, it does one thing. On the fourth fret, it does something else. So I was just fooling around on the fourth fret, and I came up with these riffs. Da, 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 da. And and I had been fooling with that for a while, but when I came up with the uh, When I Die, the musical part, I kind of put the two of them together. I thought that these might work, and sure enough, they did. So it turns out that the noodling on the guitar, just sitting around, whether it be first thing in the morning or, or late at night, it, it all helps because it, it, it increases your musical vocabulary. And, uh, you know, that, that vocabulary is, you know, the essence of, you know, where this stuff comes from. So you have your, you know, your your literal vocabulary and musical vocabulary and you put all these things together and that's kind of kind of the way it works. And even though there's, even though there's only 12 notes, uh, you know, there's an unlimited number of, uh, of variations and juxtapositions. So... So I think the most important part of the writing and the creativity is 
how do I get out of my own way and get that voice out of my head <laughs> that says, well, what's the point? Uh, they've all been written. All these melodies have been written. All the chords have been written. Well, maybe they have, but certainly the way I'm going to put it together is going to be different from the way anybody else puts it together. And that's what I have to rely on and not compare myself to Jackson Brown or James Taylor or anyone else, but because I'm the only free bow in the world. And uh, that was a big uh, point of destiny for me to come to that conclusion and go, all right, therefore, if if creativity is expression of spirit and I'm a spiritual being on an, on an earthly journey, uh, and since no two spirits, no two people are the same, whatever I express, whatever my, my spirit expresses, by definition is going to be uniquely its own, different from anybody else's. So I need to get out of my own way and allow that to happen. And uh, that's what I'm doing my best to do. Mm. Well, you have an awesome voice, I have to tell you. And really? I, yeah. I really love it, yeah. And it's just real soothing. It's just and very, I can't even understand why you would think your voice wasn't good, but it, it's really good. And um, I, I'm just, and the music is very I mean, you know, it's put together so differently. It's very wonderful. I love the French horn. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the French horn came from uh, uh, my father. Like I said, as as a kid, there was a uh, my father really liked classical music, and there was classical music playing around the house all the time. And I remember as a kid, very vividly, uh, he would point out different instruments and say, "Hear that? That that's an oboe. Hear that? There's the violins." And one of his favorite instruments was the French horn, and he would point out when a French horn would play. And uh, there's a composer named Richard Strauss. He's, just, he's the guy who wrote the theme for 2001. Uh, you know, Richard, I think, Thus Sprach Zarathustra uh, is what it's called. Uh, but he loved French horns, and he had two pieces that my dad would play. One was called Don Juan and the other Till Eulenspiegel. And uh, they both had French horn solos in them. So I got to know that piece of music and couldn't wait for the French horn solo. And I, I just loved the sound of the French horn. It was so majestic. And so when I came up with this riff, when I die, when I da-da-da, so I used that as a motif. I thought, you know, that, that really needs to be a French horn. So um, I uh, talked to my friend Jude Johnstone, who recommended a, a legit French horn player, and I was a you know a classical orchestral French horn player, and you know hired him for the gig and basically told him what to play, and that's what's on the record. And I love the way it sounds. I just I, I get goosebumps when I hear it. Yeah. What What do your parents think of your career? Well, my mother is uh, God bless her. Uh, she turns ninety seven at the end of uh, November. Oh wow. And. Uh, and even though she was the one who says, you know, when you grow up, you're going to be a doctor, a lawyer, a businessman. And, and uh, she was certainly the most disappointed uh, at my leaving school and bouncing around schools and one day coming home with my long hair saying, hey, guess what? Uh, I'm a rock and roll musician, and this is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. Uh, and I remember she'd always said, uh, you know, well, if you're going to do this, you'll know you'll be successful when you play at Carnegie Hall. And, one day uh, I called her and I said, uh, Hi, Mom, uh, 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 Bonnie just got a gig at Carnegie Hall. We're playing at Carnegie Hall on such and such a date. I'll, I'll have front row seats for you and Dad. 
And mm. so I, I I thought that was that was my arrival because that was uh, that's the way it was set up. In retrospect, it turns out that that, was, that particular gig is one of the most disappointing gigs of my life because I had these huge expectations. Carnegie Hall has got to be the greatest. It turns out that the sound was terrible and we didn't do a real good show and it was just so disappointing. Well, you know, fast forward, you know, many years later, 35, 40 years later, and um, I still save the message on my uh, on my voicemail uh, on, on this phone. And uh, my mother, I had uh, sent her a box of records uh, for when I go down to Florida. And I said, please open it up and listen to it. Well, she said, I just listened to your record. She says, it's wonderful. She said, it's it's just the best thing you've ever done. I said, I just love it. I, I love all your words and I love your melodies and the way it's put together. And here's a, a 96-year-old woman telling me this stuff. And I got to tell you, it was just uh it warmed my heart, and it was very confirmational, and it was uh, uh, maybe it was uh, <laughs> the end of my trying to please, you know, but it was, it, it just felt great. And it, it's yeah. nice to know that, I mean, not that my life should be about anyone else's approval, but, you know, we're human. And, yeah, uh, well, it it's like nice. uh, you're a healing doctor in another way. <laughs> well, you know? that's nice. Yeah, I mean, uh, we all heal in different ways in what we bring to people, and look what you're doing. It's it's terrific. I could, and I could just see your mother sharing, the, you know, having all her friends and, and relatives come visit her to listen to you. I could just picture that. Yeah. <laughs> she, she, she does. She does tout me at this point, and it, it, it's nice. Well, that's one. It, it's interesting what you said. I can't tell which one's Paula, which one's Taz, but. First of all, I, I really appreciate you guys having me and and and, and giving us the full hour. It's, 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 I'm really grateful for that. Uh, in terms of you know talking about healing, is you know I've come to the conclusion that that, that I am a healer. I never thought of that. I never aimed to be, but uh, I mean, if the music is just healing for one person on any level, uh, then then that connection has been made. But what I found that, that I'm doing more and more in my life is I'm doing a lot of teaching because it seems like along the way uh, I, I learned a few things. Uh, I've made a lot of mistakes, and, and uh, I found that pretty much it seems the only way you really learn is from your mistakes. And, you know, if you don't learn from your mistakes, I mean, what's what's the phrase? Uh, those who uh, don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. So I think the only bad mistake is a mistake you don't learn from, and, Lord knows I've made plenty of them. So I have learned a few things in my life, and, and I've been fortunate to be around a lot of very talented people and uh, the musical background that I have and the experiences I've had and the conclusions I've come to. So I found that even though I never had any uh, any desire to teach when I was younger, I find now that, that I love teaching, that I have something to teach that I have something to give, and and I do a lot of workshops across the country. Uh, I just did a a one-week songwriting retreat where we live up in California Hot Springs. It was wonderful. It's called a songwriting slash creativity and wellness retreat. So every morning we'd wake up, we'd start with a nice healthy smoothie, and then we'd get into the hot springs pool and we'd do water aerobics and and come back. And uh, for the first couple of days, I kind of taught everything I know about music theory and chord progressions and melody and rhyme and rhythm and lyrics and, and, and that whole thing. And then uh, we went up to the 100 Giant Sequoias and I had everybody sit there for a couple hours and just write 
right? Their feelings, their emotions being among these amazing creatures. It's the yeah. largest creatures on Earth and the second oldest thing on Earth, 3,000 years old almost. And then uh, have them come back and start to write songs. And by the time they left and record these songs and have them each person leave with a, a, a recorded version of the song they had written. And uh, it was very satisfying because it got into a lot of sharing and a lot of emotional stuff and a lot of spiritual stuff. So it turns out that that uh, that my evolution uh, and where I've come from, how I've evolved and what I've gone through, that I'm able to share that with other people and hopefully bring out uh, the elephant in the room, uh, bring out those parts of uh, of people that they tend to hide and say, well, it's not, nothing to hide, let's bring it out, let's talk about it, because that's the only way we're going to bring these things out. And all these emotions are what find their way into a good song. A good song is about, to me, is about the emotional connection between two people, between the person who wrote the song and or sings the song and the person who listens to the song, whether it be live or on record. And if that emotion is translated, then it's, uh, it's a successful creative endeavor. So that's what I'm trying to do in my in my teachings as I'm trying to do in my life. And it's interesting how it all comes together. And if, if, if that's healing, uh, I'll own it. Oh, yeah. Very, that's yeah. outstanding. <laughs> and also I put music to memories because I'll listen to a song on the, on the radio and it just puts me where I, I was at at the point where that song was popular or, you know, I played it all the time. It just brings back memories. You think that's why people listen to uh, oldies radio? I think so. <laughs> Probably. Freebo, what haven't you done that you'd like to see happen? Well, I'd like to play solo acoustic at Carnegie Hall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. That would be... No. Put that vision on your wall and look at it every day and it'll happen. Well, I, you know, I look. It doesn't have to be Carnegie Hall. The, the truth is that I, I, I just enjoy so much what I'm doing now. I really enjoy sharing my music. I enjoy that connection, and you know, whether it's Carnegie Hall or, or Don Quixote's in, in, in Felton, California, uh, you know, I'm 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 just so pleased, like I say, so grateful to be able to do it. And uh, you know, that connection is is, is precious. Now, do you you have your events on your uh, website so people can go on to your website and see what you're doing? Uh, you know, I I, I do. I, I'm actually getting together with my web guide today, and I'm sure what's not on there, I think he'll put on there. I think he has it on there, but um, I'm actually doing uh, a couple of gigs up in your neck of the woods, uh, uh, and we are, we are playing in in Felton at uh, at Don Quixote's right outside of Santa Cruz on Tuesday night. Uh, this coming uh, yeah, this coming Tuesday, I'm doing a co bill with uh, Elisa Feynman and Kimball Hurd, and uh, I've heard about Don Quixote. So I haven't played there. It's been a while since I played in the Santa Cruz area, so I'm looking forward to that. So we're doing that on Tuesday night, and I think we're playing in uh, Big Sur in the afternoon on uh, two o'clock on Sunday afternoon, and I forget exactly where that is. But uh, okay. I'll make sure that's on that's, that's on my website at freebowmusic.com. Yeah, that would be beautiful to hear the music at Big Sur. So, and in Santa Cruz, uh, we have so many listeners from Santa Cruz, so they need to drop in and, and listen uh, to you. Great, yeah. yeah. Tell them to come to Don Quixote's on Tuesday night. Yeah. Oh gosh. 
And when there's a place like Home uh, was a a song you wrote, can you tell us a little bit background about that one? I'm sorry, which one? Uh, When There Is No Place Like Home. Oh, well, that's one of those songs that, you know, I got the concept first. And, uh, you know, you travel around the country and, and you see a lot of homeless people. You know, on the streets and cities, uh, even in small towns, uh, I mean, it's it's tragic. You know, there are probably several million at this point, you know, in a country that's as affluent as this to, to have homelessness at all, uh, to have poverty, period. Uh, it, it, there's really no excuse for it. And, I mean, that gets into a whole socio-political conversation. But uh, I wanted to write a song uh, about homelessness, uh, and and paint paint some sort of a picture, and I thought maybe the best way to do it would be from the point of view of the homeless person. So uh, I wasn't quite sure how to do it, and uh, so I got together with, I called my friend Karen Taylor Good, who's a, a wonderful Nashville songwriter, and uh, she's uh, uh, also uh, uh, high level in, in the New Thought world, and I'm part of a, a played a lot of these churches that are they call New Thought churches. They're very progressive churches like Unity and uh, Religious Science, Science of Mind, Unitarian. And uh, uh, and Karen is just a very talented girl. So I said, Karen, let's. I want to write a song about homelessness. So uh, next time I was in Nashville, we got together and and uh, we put this together. And it is from the point of view of the homeless person. It really, it really is two different two different people. The, the first one is the person who you know, who lost his home because he lost his job. His job was shipped to China. You know, you can't say everything in the song, but you can you can get some things across, and you certainly want to get the emotion across. And the second verse is from the point of view of the uh, uh, the soldier. It's, uh, the second verse goes, I used to be a hero, uh, the strong, the proud, the few. When duty called, I stood up tall for the red, white, and blue. But no hero's welcome waited when my damaged soul returned. Uncle Sam, don't give a damn. That's what I learned. Because it, it is tragic that, uh, it, look, I'm, I'm very anti-war, uh, but uh, I've got great compassion for those people who, for one, whatever reason, uh, you know, became soldiers and, and did what they thought was the right thing and did what they were told, whether it was the right thing or not. But uh, they had a duty and they performed that duty. They did the best job they could. They were sincere about what they did. They were honest and truthful about what they did, and then they come home, and and they're and they're ignored and they're neglected. They have PTSD because they did something that went against their spirit. They killed somebody only because they were told to do it because they were told that person was a bad person, and there's a part of their spirit that says, "Wait a second, this was a human being," and they see that, especially for some place like Vietnam or Iraq where you don't even know who the enemy is. So you have these damaged souls coming back, and 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 they're they're messed up psychologically, and then there's no job waiting for them, and and so many wind up on the street, you know, and and in, in really fragile emotional conditions, and uh, so I I wanted to write write like I say write a song from from that point of view, and the bridge goes, please don't look right past me, uh, a simple smile could help me make it through. You know, just to, you know, that maybe we can have some compassion for that person. Somebody, you know, somebody says, hey, you got a quarter of a buck. You know what? Uh, it's not it's not for me to go, wait a second, are they sincere or not? You know, there's somebody who needs something and I got something. 
And, uh, you know, uh, what did Jesus say? Love thy neighbor and, uh, you know, uh, uh, feed the poor, you know, feed the hungry, clothe the poor. So uh, I, I believe in those things. And uh, it, it's not even about religion. It's just about spirituality. And it's about the human condition. It's about being a good person and, and, uh, and, and again, the connection with our fellow man. So that's right, why I little... write this out. Do you want me to play a little bit of it? Yeah, that would be great. Thank you. Okay. I used to be your neighbor. I had my job and I had my pride. But they shipped them both to China And it ripped a hole inside They took my house last summer Now I'm hungry, cold, and scared And I'm wondering, does anybody care? When there's no place like home And you're out on your own You feel abandoned and alone When there's no place like home I used to be a hero The strong, the proud, the few When duty called I stood up tall For the red, white and blue But no heroes welcome waiting When my damaged soul returns Uncle Sam don't give a damn That's what I learned There's no place like home When you're out on your own You feel abandoned and alone When there's no place like home well, that really <laughs> hits the heart. Yeah. Well, thank you. Maybe uh maybe you should play uh, a little bit of the next song so people don't think that I play all the all these sad songs. <laughs> oh, the dog? <laughs> she loves my dog oh, I, more I, than I, me. <laughs> exactly. It's another one where where it came from uh, my my wife was sitting on the bed with uh, one of our uh, golden retrievers when she was a pup and just you know spending all this time just petting her and hugging her and loving her and and I I just kind of looked up and I thought well gee I, I used to get some of that and I kind of <laughs> said to her I, I said you know I think you love the dog more than me and once again it was one of those clevers and said hmm I really should write that down hmm that would be a great song I went from <laughs> Uh, you love a dog more than me than to my wife loves my dog more than me than I thought she loves my dog more than me and once I said she loves my dog more than me that she became my wife and so the dog had to be he even though the dog was a she so I made the dog a he <laughs> and uh, and so I need to write that song and so uh, yeah, I put think it that's together cute. And, that's yeah, really cute. Let, let me play it uh, great thank you
so well fed I had my breakfast in bed I was happy as a man can be Then my buddy called up Had the cutest little pup I couldn't help but take him in Ah, little did I know Her affection would go To my new little four-legged friend Now she loves the dog more than me I love my dog more than me. I love my dog, and she loves my dog, and she loves my dog more than me. We were lying by the fire, burning with desire, when suddenly to my chagrin. As the fire got to stoking, came a cold nose of poking. Somewhere it should not have been. I thought she'd chew him away, but she told him to stay. It kinda took me out of the zone. Now a man's best friend gets a girl in the end, and I'm left a hole in the bone. Cause she loves my dog more than me. Oh, I love the horns in that, too. Oh, thank you. I'm glad, glad, glad you let that second verse in. <laughs> That's superior. That's outstanding. It reminds oh, me of home. Our dog sleeps between us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, the, 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 the last verse of the uh, of the song goes, uh, um, there's a moral to the story when you fall from the glory you got to do it gracefully. So I'm back in the bed with the dog at the head. We're a nuclear family. So the, 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 the dog is in the bed, and I'm back in the bed with him. And uh, But, yeah, the dog's definitely right up there at the head. Uh, Frivo, tell us, um, is there a most memorable experience or something that surprised you that you didn't expect when in whatever area you want to talk about here. Oh my gosh, I, I have I have no I have no idea where to go with that. Was that you, Paula? No, that's no. Chad. Oh, that's Chad. Mm, you have geez, such I, a you have such a rich life. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh. I mean, of all the people you've met. Well, I, I really have met some you know some wonderful people, and uh, you know I mean it's not even about about naming names, you know. A, yeah, you know, people come in all sorts, you know, shapes and sizes and qualities. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you meet your heroes and, and you're really disappointed. And sometimes you meet your heroes and, and, and they live up to everything that you that you thought they'd, you know, thought they'd be. And um, uh, I did get to meet uh, Barack Obama uh, before he was president. Uh, some friends of mine uh, had him uh, at his book signing. Uh, it was actually before he... Uh, before he declared as a candidate, and they were going, they had, I guess, invited about 50 people over. But it turns out I got a call that afternoon, and uh, we were invited over, and I was looking forward to meeting him. And uh, I got a call. They said, "Hey, uh, the, the 50 people has kind of uh, expanded to about 200, and uh, we're going to move it outside instead of inside." We thought maybe you might have a small PA system we can use. And I said, "Sure." So I got my PA, and I brought it over, and I set it up, and 
And uh, basically what I did, I, I did sound uh, for, for Barack Obama. And uh, so I was standing you know, just like five feet away from him, you know, just while he was talking to people. I was just very impressed by, you know, what kind of person he was. And he signed a book for me. And uh, I thought to myself, this guy would make a good president. And uh, he certainly had his certainly had his, his struggles, his problems, and he's certainly getting a lot of resistance from uh, from the other side. Uh, I think he's done the best he can. I mean, I personally, I, some of his decisions are not decisions that I would have made, uh, but other ones are. And uh, I think at the moment he's probably the best man for the job. And I, uh, it feels like he's starting to find his soul. I, I hope he finds it in time to get reelected. And I hope uh, if and when he gets reelected, I, I hope he, he, he follows his heart and uh, and doesn't try so hard to, uh, to compromise. I hope he does what he really believes in. That's That's just me. He's had a lot put in his lap, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, a lot of challenges, yeah, absolutely. Tough time. <laughs> Talking about books, have you thought about writing a book of your life? Because it sounds like that would be quite yeah. a book. Well, I, I I don't know if I'd write a book about my life, but I, I do have this book uh, in me uh, that really is about choices, you know, that, you know, you uh, – the choices you make, you know, are, 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 are the life you make, you know, uh, change, your, change your choices, change your life, whatever it's going to be called. Uh, and because uh, I, I, I have come to believe that that's really what life is about. It's really about choices, whether they're little choices in the moment, what you're going to say, whether you're going to say, what you're going to eat, whether you're not going to eat, whether you're going to get out of bed, not get out of bed, whether you go go to sleep, not go to sleep. And big choices like should I should I marry her should I not should I join the army should I not should I go to college and should I drop out and um, and every choice leads to every other choice so uh, and there are a lot of things behind the choices there's fear behind the choice there's there's following your intuition there's uh, uh, there's entitlement you know a whole whole chapter on entitlement so I've definitely got the book in me and I hope I can find the courage to uh, uh, to do it. I've never written a book before, but before I wrote a song, I'd never written a song before. And before I did a CD, I never did a CD before. So I think life's about challenges, and I think it's about walking through our fears. And uh, that's what I'm trying to uh, do my best at. Well, it sounds like you uh, walk with your excitement and what opens your heart and, you know, how, how you... You know, literally, you you bless people having this capability that you have, and um, there's not there's not a greater gift that a human being can have that's inside them that they can give another than what you have. I mean, then, then you know, then what when people get excited about this joy to be able to serve others, you know, it's it's like it makes Following them alive. Yeah, it makes them alive. It's just beautiful. Well, well you're, you're, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say you're absolutely right, and I think uh, before you can serve others, you know, you, you have to serve yourself. You have to be true to yourself, and you know, and, uh, and you know, and own yourself. And it takes a lot of work. It's you know, looking in the mirror and 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 saying, okay, what what do I have to do to, to make the changes that to be the change I wish to see, like Gandhi said, and and uh, that does take a certain amount of work and courage. So. Uh, and then you know, what, what they say, you can't give away what you don't have. So Perfect per- perfect words. <laughs> we want to remind everybody that you're going to be in Santa Cruz this uh, coming Tuesday. At, is it Don Quixote's? Don Quixote's, right. It's actually in Felton. 
Hilton. And then you're going to be at Big Sur, so they need to look at your website to see where you're going to be. Yeah, that Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock with uh, Elisa Feynman and Kimball Hurt. And your website is? Uh, www.freebomusic, F-R-E-E-B-O, freebomusic.com. And uh, if you want to email me, if anybody's listening to this, uh, my email is freebo at freebomusic.com. Be happy to hear from you. Now, Freebo, I'm going to end our show with That's What Love Is. Oh, that's very sweet. Thank you. Thank you for, so much for being with us today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, and, and keep doing what you guys are doing. It's great. And I look forward to meeting you in person. Will you make it? Hopefully you make it out on Tuesday night to Don Quixote's. Certainly, well, I'm what a, I can do. <laughs> I'm up sure. north right now, so so. But um, I would like to see you come up this way, and I'm going to be talking to Bobby about that. All so, right. uh, so let me turn on a song that I just dearly love. It's a whisper you hear In the midst of your fear It's revealing It's a part of the heart And it's just who we are It's so healing It's the power inside Always wins over pride Never judges And it strengthens and comforts us all That's what love is It's the healer of souls Makes the broken ones whole and completed It's what gives you the strength and the hope When you're feeling defeated It's a compass and guide, and it won't be denied, so we trust it. It's the light in the dark of it all, that's what love is. Well, thank you, Freebo, for being with us. We've thoroughly enjoyed oh, it. It's my pleasure, Paul and Taz. Thank you so much for having me. You're really welcome. appreciate it. And we will meet. I look forward so, to that. Okay. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Well, what a great interview.